Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Good morning, church. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Alex Gray. Find your seat. Stop talking. Yeah. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Good to see everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Holy cow, there is a new guy on stage. Half of you don't even know who I am. Heather, I promise when I signed up for teaching team, I understood the assignment. The assignment was that you had to preach if you were going to be on the teaching team. And uh, it's been a while. It's been exactly a year this weekend since the last time I preached. And um, so what that means is that it will either be off the rails or a train wreck, one of the two. And uh, either way, you should probably buckle up because you're going to wish that you had. Um, Man, so I haven't preached in a long time. And so because of that, I I will do an introduction. My name, for those that don't know me, is uh, Kip. I'm part of the the teaching team, the pastoral team. Uh, I'm the preparedness pastor. I do uh, audio. I do security. Gosh, I do a number of things. But probably the most famous thing that people know me for is that I'm married to Heidi Bolt. Which is fine by me. I mean, the reality is, is that uh, I'm bad with names. I'm slightly awkward in social situations. And I get really anxious in large groups, which, by the way, are like requirements for being in ministry. So I don't know how God was like, hey, you should get into ministry. But here I am. But no, seriously, uh, most people know my wife, Heidi. She's amazing. We just got back from... Cancun, which was amazing. We spent like five or six days there, and it was a blast. Um, All jokes aside, like, invest in your marriage, people. Like, invest in your marriage. Like, no jokes aside, you have to, like, if you're married here, and this is, this is, this has nothing to do with my message, but invest in your marriage, all right? If a vacation isn't in the budget, go on a date night. And I don't mean, and this is mostly for the husbands, right? Because, like, regardless of what woke culture tells us, like, husbands pursue your wives. They want to be pursued, all right? They want to feel special. They want to feel like you want them. So schedule a date night more than once a quarter, okay? Spend time having conversation with your spouse. Like, not just about what sucked at work for the day or what the kids' schedules are for the week. Like, meaningful conversation, Buy her flowers, cook a meal, fold the laundry that's been sitting in the basket for a week just because. And don't, don't do it and be like, oh, look what I did, hon. Just, just do it. Just do it. No, seriously, my wife is the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. Um, she's the best thing that I ever did. And um, that was probably could have been wordsmithed a little bit better, but... <laughs> You get the point. You get the point. 
So yeah, so that had nothing to do with my message today. That was just a little tidbit. Invest in your marriage. If you need help, there's a lot of couples on our leadership team that are really passionate about healthy marriages. And um, come see us and, and, and we'll help you. So no, in fact, today we are uh, continuing in our series, Dark Corners. Heather kicked us off last week and did an incredible job. And I'm um, honored to take the baton and, and run with it this week. And so if you're taking notes and you need help with a title, uh, today's message is about the dark corners of our faith and where doubt lives. And so the kind of foundational verse that we're using for this series, you'll find in Luke, Luke eleven thirty six. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you, and I'm going to read it as we get started. Luke eleven thirty six, no one lights a lamp and then hides it and puts it on or puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where its light can be seen by all who enter the house. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when it is unhealthy, your body will be filled with darkness. And Heather really hammered on this last week. Make sure that the light that you think that you have is not actually darkness. If you are filled with light with no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant as though a floodlight were filling you with light. So like I said, this week we're going to be talking about dark corners of our faith, and in those dark corners is where doubt lives. So as I mentioned, Heidi and I... um, just got back from Cancun. We were celebrating, believe it or not, 18 years of marriage. Next month, we will be married 18 years. And um, a quick story, Heidi and I met October 28th of 2003, right before Halloween. And we were married May 22nd, 2004. So anybody doing the math will see that that was 206 days from the day that we met to the time that we got married. We had to fit a lot in in a very short amount of time. And as much as when I called and invited her to coffee, I thought like, man, she's into me. She said, yes, we're going to meet. This is awesome. I later found out many weeks later that the only reason, and this is classic Heidi, the only reason that she agreed to meet me for coffee was that she wanted to make sure that I knew Jesus. <laughs> Nonetheless, here we are. Yeah. So in those 206 days, we had to fit a lot in, right? If you're married, there's a lot that has to happen between the time that you meet somebody to the time that you get married. We had discussions about dreams and career paths and what that looked like. We had to meet all the family, brothers and sisters and sister and, and moms and dads. And we had to meet everybody, right, and, and get all the approvals. And we had to discuss hobbies and passions. I actually found out that Heidi loved wakeboarding, which I thought was super cool. I had never known anybody that had wakeboarded before. And so she was into water sports, so that was super cool. Um, she found out that I was super into hunting and the outdoors and guns and so on and so forth. And this is if you're like single or engaged or about to get married, here's a pro tip for you. And if, if you're already married, like the ship sailed. 
But if you're going into it, if you just explain to your spouse, like, hey, honey, uh, I just want to prepare you that 50% of our disposable income is going to go for guns and hunting and everything. It just makes it a lot easier. You don't, you don't have to have the conversation later on. You're just like, hey, we laid this out at the beginning. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. And you can just tell them your pastor told you that. So, But we had a lot of conversations about faith, how faith was involved in our lives. Our, she was on staff at a church, um, kind of what our relationship with God looked like and our theology and so on and so forth. And I can remember one night um, we were at Barnes & Noble Coffee Shop. Does that place even still exist? Okay, all right, cool. We were at Barnes & Noble Coffee Shop and we were having these conversations. And through the series of conversations, we started talking about our faith and doubts. And then we got on to the topic of miracles. And I can just very clearly remember this moment in our conversation where we were talking. And I said, hey, have you ever seen a, like a bona fide, legit miracle? And I don't know, actually, I do know exactly what I meant by that. But, but what I was getting at is, like, a, like and I use this example. I said, like a legit miracle. I'm talking about, and I use this, I said, a, a dude that's been in a wheelchair his whole life, Right? He's 30 years old, he comes to the front for prayer, hands get laid on, he gets prayed for, and he gets up and like walks out of, out of the church. Like a, a legit, unexplainable miracle. And she looked at me and she said, yeah, I have. I've seen one. And I can remember in my spirit and then saying it out loud, I was like, man, if I ever saw something like that, it would change me forever. Like, it would have to, right? Like, if you saw something like that, it would, it would have to change you forever. And I just said, man, if I ever, if I ever saw that, like, it would, it would just change my life. <laughs> well, that was 18 years ago. And church, can I tell you that our God has a sense of humor? I'm pretty sure he took that comment that I kind of made in jest as like a double dog dare. As like, oh really, Kip? In the 18 years since I've made that comment, can I share with you what I've seen? Just in my own personal life, like my own little sphere of people, I've seen my son Crosley Not just healed once, miraculously, but twice. I've seen my wife healed miraculously twice. Once from broken ribs and once from a chronic autoimmune disease that has plagued her for 10 years, maybe longer. I've seen my father who at 62 years of age, after 18 years of consistent prayer, recommit his life to Jesus. I've seen his brother, my uncle, of 62 years of age, after going through COVID, a coma, 
a heart attack and a stroke the past three months, recommit his life to Jesus, and literally this morning get a text that he's being released from the hospital to come home. I've seen broken bones healed many times. I've seen autoimmune diseases healed. I have seen rashes, skin rashes of small children that have been plaguing them for days and weeks only to be preyed upon and for it to go away within hours. I've seen commas and strokes and cancer all be healed. And that's just the physical stuff. I've seen broken marriages that had no business being restored be restored. I've seen debilitating addiction to alcohol, drugs, pornography, gambling broken. I've seen over and over and over again. And, and one time I had somebody actually have, very close to me have the audacity to say about my son, well, did your God really heal him? Or was it the doctors and the nurses and the medicine? And at first it kind of struck me because I'm like, well, there is some credibility to that. But here's the thing, and this is the thing that I, I want you to drill into on this part, is that Man, we love doctors. We love nurses. We love modern medicine. It, is, it has been revolutionary in what it's done in the Western world. But here's the reality. When my son was in the hospital, there were children, infants, all on that floor. And they all got the same level of care and treatment from those doctors. And do you think that those doctors were choosing which ones came off that floor and which ones didn't? No, they didn't. The miraculous happens when we stop. When, the miraculous happens when we do everything that we can from a worldly perspective and God intervenes. And that is a miracle, whether it's cancer or children in the hospital or whatever it is. We do everything we can, but at a point... God has to step in. And so after 18 years of seeing all this happen, I would love to stand up here and tell you that I have completely rid doubt from my life. In fact, you probably almost expect that of me, right? As a leader in the church, as someone who's seen everything that I've seen, But that's not the case. In fact, more often than I would like to admit, when the impossible is presented to me, there is an ounce of doubt still in my heart. And can I confess to you that I hate it. I hate it so much that, I don't know about you, but there are Certain prayers that are like a reoccurring prayer that you might have, that I have, and this ounce of doubt that seems like no matter what I do that I can't get rid of it, that my initial reaction, see, my wife and many on our leadership team are blessed with the gift of faith. Someone can come to Heidi and say, hey, this is what's going on, and her immediate reaction is a reaction of faith. 
And I can have a similar reaction and say outwardly, like, yes, we're going to believe for that. But I just hear this voice in the dark corner that's like, yeah, but can God really do that? And as I was digging into this message and preparing for it, I started to construct an idea around what that looks like. And, and the idea that, that came, because the original series idea for, for this week was, was proof. Um, proving out that God exists. And, and the reality is, is like there are some people out there that so disbelieve in God that literally the only thing that will ever reach them is a personal experience with Jesus. That's the only thing. You can sit there and talk to your blue in the face and provide all sorts of evidence, but the only thing that's going to change their mind is a personal interaction with Jesus. And so we pray for that. But for the rest of us, for the rest of us that are believers, I had this phrase that kept getting downloaded to me, and the phrase was the unbelieving believer. The unbelieving believer. What is the unbelieving believer? The unbelieving believer is a Christ follower who occasionally or routinely fails to trust God to move in a way that supersedes our own understanding. Routinely asking, does God still really perform miracles? And so for the remainder today, I want to lay out what I think is a, a framework for us to rid doubt from our lives, to to kind of push that final ounce of doubt that you may have, that I confess to you, that I have from time to time on how we get rid of doubt in our lives. Um, many of you know that last year, my brother-in-law, Isaac, and I went to Montana on an elk hunt, and we committed to each other that we were going to be as good a shape as we could possibly be. It was our third trip out there, and the first two times we you know, admitted like, hey, we, we probably could have been in better shape. And so we were going to get in the best shape that two dudes from 600 feet of elevation could get into. And so as we go through these points, I want to point out that uh, I'm going to get no uh, points for originality when it comes to making a, a parallel around working out, getting in shape physically with the same way spiritually. And I'm going to get no points for originality talking about Thomas and doubt, but here we are and I have the mic and you'll have to deal with it. So, <laughs> so anyways, there's three nuggets that I think that we can still dig out of the, the story of Thomas. For those that are maybe newer or aren't familiar, uh, Thomas was one of Jesus' disciples. He was Jewish, shocker. He uh, had a nickname, uh, Didymus, which means uh, Greek, or which means twin in Greek. So there's uh, quite a bit of evidence that he, in fact, was a, was a twin. And he shows up in a number of areas in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Acts. And so lesson one comes from uh, John 11, and if you don't have your Bibles with you, like I said, it'll, it'll be up there. But we actually just sung a song about this story at the beginning of the service. And what was interesting is what Heather shared. Like, Heather didn't know I was going to preach on this. And it's just amazing how God puts this all together. But in John 11, we see the story of Lazarus. Now, Lazarus is the brother of Mary and a dear friend of Jesus. And he's deathly sick, right? And so many of us know the story they, Mary writes to Jesus, is like, hey, Lazarus is sick. You need to come now. And Jesus gets the letter, 
And as we know, he doesn't immediately return to help with Lazarus. And in fact, he waits a couple days. And then finally in verse uh, 11, it says, our friend, he's, Jesus is talking to the disciples and those around. He says, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go wake him. And the disciples um, are telling Jesus, like, hey, Jesus, uh, just, you know, in case you don't remember, we just came from there and they tried to kill us. And we should probably not go back or they'll kill us. And so Jesus is like, oh, well, he's fallen asleep. And the disciples are like, oh, if that's the case, let's, let's don't wake a brother up. Like, just, just leave him. Just let him sleep. And so as Jesus so often does, he has to speak plainly. And so he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Come and let's go see him. And so the first point on how we eradicate doubt from our lives is that we have to download what Jesus is telling us and understand what he's saying in his words. You see, Jesus was speaking to the disciples, hey, this is what we need to do. And the disciples weren't getting what he was saying. And so he had to speak plainly. And then he says, and then hopefully you will believe. And so the very first thing that we have to do is we have to make sure that whatever we're reading, first we're committing to this. And first we're understanding and downloading what's here. Listen, church, reading is a good thing. Absolutely. Go read all sorts of things that help you better understand who Jesus is. But if you're reading things that are at odds of what's in the scripture, you're literally shooting yourselves in the foot. You're literally injecting doubt into your life voluntarily. Don't do that. If, you, if somebody says, oh, well, if you're reading something, whether it's a blog or a book or watching something, you know, a, a lot of us myself included, don't get time to read a lot of books per se anymore, but we watch things and download podcasts and listen to all that. If you're listening things that are at odds with what's in here, of course you're going to have doubt. Start here first and measure everything against what's here first. The story goes on, and as we know, Jesus goes and raises Lazarus from the dead. And it's such a great picture of what Jesus can do. Lesson two, the second nugget, if you're right, you can write lesson, nugget, whatever you want to call it. We see in Mark 16, 14, Luke 24, 35, and John 20, 19. This, these are the accounts of Jesus showing up after his death and his resurrection. And it's really interesting, at least this is what stood out to me. In each of those texts, it says that when Jesus appeared, some believed and some refused to believe. You know, Thomas gets a bad rap, right? It's like the unbeliever, like he's the doubter. But it says some believed and some refused to believe. It was just Thomas. Some believed and then there was this joker Thomas. No, it says some believed and some refused to believe. So there was more than just Thomas that were struggling with what was happening to Jesus. In Mark 16, 14, it says, and I'll read it. It'll be up on the screen. 
Still later, he appeared to the 11 disciples, and they were eating together. We're going to come back to that. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him and had been raised from the dead. Then in Luke 24, 35, Then the two from Emus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them and they were walking along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking bread. And just as they were telling about Jesus, just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they are seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies, as you see I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. They asked him, do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fit, and he ate as they watched So there's a couple things there. The first is, what's the picture that we see? We see a picture of unbelievers and believers gathered together in community. We see a picture of people with great faith and those with doubts gathered together. Church, community is what you see as a picture here. That is what is this church and churches all across the country, a community of people that are Believers and unbelievers, those with strong faith, those with less faith. Coming to church matters. There's been this lie over the past couple years that, oh, I can just watch it on TV. Coming to church matters because here's what happens when you come to church. You get to have community with people that can encourage you, that can challenge you, that can egg egg you on in whatever you need encouragement in. Community matters, and the church is community. So in terms of helping us get rid of doubt in our lives, being in a community of other believers that can, when you're like, man, I just don't know if God hears my prayers anymore. I just don't know if God can do this. I just don't know, on and on and on. A community of believers is what God intended in his design, and that's why church matters. The other thing that we see is we see the breaking of bread, the eating. Here's the thing, church. On leadership, we hear, this is, this is like a family meeting real quick. On leadership, we hear two things at this church all the time. The first thing we hear is, man, this church is amazing. It has great community. I've never had friends like I've had here. I've been welcomed like I've never been welcomed ever, ever, ever in a church. I love it here. Connor and Emma this morning. We also hear, usually from people on the way out the door, there's just no community here. I just can't get plugged in. I just can't connect with anybody. I just can't, 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 can't. So which one is true? They both can't simultaneously be true. There's either community or there's not. Here's the challenge, church. I I, I say this not as a prideful thing. This is just a teaching moment. When Heidi and I got married, I'm not joking, our house was the size of this stage. We had the smallest house you've ever seen. 
it was tiny. And in our tiny house, there was an even tinier kitchen table. I remember buying the kitchen table. It was $99 at Walmart. It was a total piece of crap. It was glass. It had these four chairs, and every single chair would not sit level. Actually, it might have been the kitchen floor. Either way, all the chairs wobbled. And do you know that from the day we got married, we had people in our home all the time. We would sit on the floor. We would have pizza. We'd have people who's like, hey, there's nowhere to sit, man. Grab a pillow and lean against the wall. It's a true story. It doesn't take a ton of time, a ton of money, or a ton of effort. This is basic blocking and tackling stuff, guys. If you are a Christ follower, open your home, have people to your table. You will have community like you never believed. If you're like, man, I just can't connect with it. Let me just spell it out. If you're new and you're like, hey, I want community. Literally, this is, this is anti-social kip. You're getting advice from like the person that shouldn't even be up here giving you advice. Hi, my name's Kip. What's your name? Okay, nice to meet you. Hey, would you like to grab dinner sometime? It's not hard, guys. And the thing is, is that the amount of growth and the amount of community you will get by opening your home will blow your mind. All the community that happens at this church happens almost in two places. Before worship, on Sunday morning, people coming to serve, and at a dinner table at somebody's home. And then... Last part, if you get invited, be a good host and invite back. Like, it's not hard. Hey, thanks for having us over. We'd like to have you guys over for dinner, and, you know, it's no big deal. It doesn't cost a ton of money. Order, I mean, you get Little Caesars five guys, or pizzas for like six bucks. Anyway, community happens around the table, and we see the picture here. Community in this church, community happens around the table, and by having community with people who can challenge you, will get rid of doubt in your life. And the, the last part on the community piece is, is that when you do have those doubts, like when you're ready to go to battle over something that you can't handle, rather that's a battle over cancel, cancer or a battle over a marriage that's gone wry or a battle over a wayward son or daughter or so on and so forth, the church will come and go to battle with you. We will go to war with you and we will be there through it all. All right, last, last lesson, lesson, last nugget. And this is the hard one because the first two are trusting God at his word and surrounding yourself in community. But the third one is on you. The third one is all on your effort. So my man Tim, Tim Wolf. if you don't know Tim Wolf, Tim, where you at? Raise your hand. Yeah, you raised the good, the good arm too. So you may not, if you don't know Tim, get to know Tim. But Tim, Tim's one of these like low-key, just ripped dudes. Like if you look at him, he's like, yeah, Tim's a, a ripped dude. Tim will invite you out on the boat. You'll be like, dang, Tim, you're making me look bad, man. Tim likes to lift weights. And Tim, God bless him, not too long ago lifted some weights that were a little bit too heavy. And Tim lifted some weights so heavy that he literally ripped his pec from his shoulder. Like, I didn't even know that was a thing. That's right. And the same is true in our spiritual life, right? Listen, if you lift, if Tim lift, or any, if, if any of you work out, if you lift the same 30 pounds over and over and over and over, 
you're going to get really good at lifting 30 pounds. But then you're never going to get better at lifting the heavier weight. And so it is in our spiritual life, you always have to be looking to lift that heavier weight, the spiritual weight. And maybe you're, you're new to this, and maybe you're like, man, I, I need to learn how to, to pray for miracles and believe that God can do what he says he can do in his word. Well, praying that someone might be raised from the dead might not be the first go. Maybe it is. Maybe that's what God's asked you to do. But maybe you need to start with something a little bit smaller and work your way up to it. Tim went all in. Tim was like, hey, I'm going to live. How much weight was it, Tim? 250? 250. 250. It's 2.50. Here's what Tim should have done. Just like we were talking about in community, Tim should have had a spotter. He should have had somebody that when he went for the heavy weight and he couldn't lift it, he had somebody there alongside him to grab that and help him through it. Right? And that's what the church is. When we're working it, working out our faith and working out on believing that God can do what he says he can do, and sometimes we go to lift that weight, that spiritual weight, that spiritual faith weight that's too much for us to lift, being in community of people that can help you lift that is what we need. I, I just pray that, you know, I'm like Tim, that... I will always have faith that exceeds my own abilities because if it doesn't, then is your faith really in God or is it in what you can do? So those are the nuggets. Those are the lessons. First, we have to trust God in what he says in his word. We have to understand it implicitly. We have to test everything against it. Then we have to be in community with people that are like-minded, that will encourage us, that will challenge us, that will support us. And third, we have to be able and willing to pick up the heavy weights ourselves, to exercise ourselves, to trust and learn from this so that we can lift those weights ourselves. And if we can't lift it, if we get to the point where it's too heavy, we lean on our community to help us. I'm going to close with a story um, some of you know this story. Some of you, this will be the first time you've heard it. But about five years ago, actually it was exactly five years ago, this past weekend, uh, we were, Heidi and I and the family, we were out at Grand Prairie. And it was a uh, you know, somewhat sunny March afternoon. <clears throat> And we had just left Grand Prairie, and Heidi got a phone call. And the moment that the phone rang, she picked it up, and uh, she grew quiet immediately. And I could tell quickly that something was quite wrong. And um, we found out that our dear, sweet sister, Jenna, who's married to Heidi's brother, Matt, had her little brother, Braden killed in a car accident that afternoon. He was 16 years old. He loved to farm. He was full of joy. And on his way home from school, he pulled out in front of a fertilizer truck at a four-way stop and was killed instantly. Just a 
couple of miles from his home. And to make matters even worse, his brother came upon the accident and was there to respond immediately. And as soon as he saw Braden's car, he knew who it was and he knew what had happened. And for the remainder of that afternoon and into the morning the next day, uh, our world kind of stood still. And the next day, uh, Heidi got a call from Marilyn, Braden's mom. And I, they spoke for quite a while in the other room. And I could tell it was a very serious conversation. And Heidi hung up the phone and came in and she had a, almost a shocked look on her face. And she proceeded to tell me that Marilyn was calling her community of people. They would stand in the gap with her and pray and intercede and believe that her son Braden would be raised from the dead. What mom wouldn't ask for that? And uh, it, it was painful because it was painful for me personally and I've reflected on this moment for so long that in the moment that voice of doubt was almost overwhelming and I hated it I hated that we that I claim to believe this yet when the rubber really hit the road I just had such strong doubt but here's the deal Heidi agreed as so many others did and well over 150 people showed up at the visitation home and for well over an hour proceeded to pray and worship and prophesy and intercede on Braden's behalf. And Braden was not raised from the dead. But can I tell you that what did happen that day was that there was not a single person that left that funeral home that was not changed in a profound way. Because every person there in the community of believers saw the power of what happens when believers truly believe that God has the power to do what he says he can do. He doesn't always answer our prayers in the way that we think that he should. But every single person was changed that day. Every single person, myself included, lost a little bit more of the doubt that sits in our lives. And the darkness was pushed back just a little bit more. And Satan was not given a foothold. Again, we showed up, we prayed, we prophesied, we worshiped for well over an hour. And it was joyful 
and sad, encouraging, and every single person that left that building was changed. And I tell you what, I, like I said to Heidi 18 years ago, that if I ever saw a miracle that it would change my life forever, I made another promise to myself that day. And that promise was this, and this is the promise that I would encourage you to make, is that when given the opportunity to trust God at his word, just take the step. Just take the step. Just step out and go, God, I don't know if you're going to do this, but I'm going to take the step. I don't know if I can pick this weight up, but I'm going to try. And I trust me, if you do that, you will push doubt out of your life and you will go stronger in your faith every day. Would you stand with me, church, as we pray? Father God, Jesus, shine your light in our lives in a way that there is no room for doubt. Lord, in every person's heart here today, Lord, just chase doubt out of our lives so that there is no room for it. Lord, that we would be a people here at Church 214 that trust you at your word, that surrounds ourselves in a community that is encouraging, challenging, that we will lock arms together and go to battle to believe that you will do miraculous things. Lord, you're moving in this church in a way that we can't even explain Every day you're doing miraculous things in this church, Lord. And so we just press into that, Lord. We thank you for what you're doing. Lord, we just pray that this body of believers would be encouraged in a way, Lord, that, that we trust you at your word. Jesus, we just thank you for the miracles that you have done. Lord, the healings, the marriages, the relationships. Lord, we thank you for the miracles that you're about to do. Lord, new miracles. You're doing a new thing, Lord, and we want to be a part of it. So, Lord, we just thank you for this. Lord, we thank you for your favor and your blessing over this body. In your name we pray. Amen.